0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE.
1: Welcome to The Range on the BELIEVE Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking to an absolute legend in the world of golf equipment. He was a part of a machine that created the first metal wood, and he spearheaded the move towards manufacturers creating different lines of products to meet the performance needs of different players. Even when he thought he had seen and done it all, he did more and he continues to thrive atop the industry. It's an absolute joy to be joined here on the range by the Senior Vice President of Callaway Golf and the General Manager of Odyssey, Sean Toulon. Sean, as always, it is great to speak with you.
0: No, nice to see you too, Ralph. How are you?
1: I am fantastic. I'm excited because (laughs) I I love talking golf with you and, and we get to do it in a little bit longer form here. But I want to start with you at the very beginning. When did golf come into your life?
0: Oh, gosh. Uh, probably the, about the same time it did to a lot of kids, you know, then about my age. I'm 60. So when I was 12 and uh, figured out that I wasn't going to be a major league uh, second baseman because I couldn't hit a curveball, um, you know, I, 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 I love sports and I, I didn't want to move away from from really being an active participant in sports. And, uh, you know, I saw there were a lot of, of really good golfers that were not that big. And I was destined to be about 5'8". So I, I turned on to golf then, age 12. You grew up in
1: Wisconsin. You went to a school in Madison. I did. And yet you made your way right into the golf industry. How did you get started in the industry?
0: Well, I started, I started caddying um, at a, uh, a club in, on the west side of Madison called Nakoma Golf Club. Um, and I really got into it more from my dad, you know, like so many of us did. My dad liked to play. Um, he was just, you know, so frustrated with the game because he was a wonderful athlete and a, to this day, an awful golfer. Uh, but we would go out on Sunday mornings and and then, you know, to make a few bucks, I, I started catting. So um, I think, you know, between my dad and the, the uh, atmosphere at Nakoma Golf Club where I grew up, being able to watch golfers, I loved the way they, um, carried themselves. I I, I really got to understand the game and, and, uh, was just, you know, really taken by the, you know, the spirit and, um, you know, the integrity of the game, but really the romance of it all too. So I, I just fell in love with the game and those who played it early.
1: You didn't go to school to necessarily be in golf business per se, but that's where you went right away.
0: Well, most people wouldn't think that you'd parlay an ag econ degree into, uh, senior vice president of of Callaway golf for sure. But um, as I was going to school, I became a pretty good player um, and uh, you know, worked in, you know, bag rooms and in golf shops. And uh, you know, I loved equipment. Um, I played a little bit in college, uh, but then, you know, the, the the, the team at Wisconsin, uh, Dennis Tiziani came on as, as coach and they became, you know a, a really a pretty formidable squad and you know I could shoot 75 but you had to shoot 72 every day and I couldn't do that so I did what anybody else would do I turned pro and uh, became a teaching professional when I was in uh, my last uh, couple of years of college and um, you know th- then I would say the industry bug really bit me hard
1: you first went to essentially tailor-made how, how did you get uh, connected with Gary Adams
0: well, I, I remember working at Nacoma when I was, you know, 14 years old or 15 years old. And this salesman would come in, um, and it, in, it, in this big shiny Cadillac, and and he um, he was selling for PGA uh, Victor then, so it was before Tommy Armour. But this guy, when you would see him, he was happy, he was smiling. Um, he went out of his way to, you know, kind of introduce himself to not just me, but all the kids down, you know, in the caddy barn basically. And I just, I was, I just remember meeting or seeing him, not really even formally meeting him, uh, but I was just smitten by his energy. And then I went to work at Vitens Golf Land, which is a driving range in, in, on the West side of Madison. And, um, uh, we had a little golf shop there and we did a ton of business and, um, you know, Gary would come in a little bit then. But then, you know, this little company popped up called Made Golf. And, um, you know, I thought it was kind of a joke when I saw it at first because woods were made out of wood, not metal. Um, but as I was finishing up uh, school, um, I went to work. I, I, I finished school, and I, I decided I didn't want to be a golf pro. I wanted to be – I wanted to get in the equipment side of it. And, you know, I have a decent personality, so I, I sales maybe I could, I could make a go of it there. So I went to work for a little tiny company called Exim that sold you know really inexpensive uh, Korean golf bags and animal head covers and uh, Ralph I sold so damn many animal head covers you couldn't believe it they were everywhere so later that summer um, the tailormade job opened and and in the when I was working in that little golf shop I had started selling quite a few of them um, but tailormade was small it was about a like eight to maybe ten million dollar company and um, the job came up and uh, I was actually invited by a a man uh, that was running sales there John Steinbach to apply for the job so of course I did immediately and uh, went down and met with the team and and Gary and fell in love with him right away and I got the job the next day so um, it was they forgot to tell me they were 45 minutes from going bankrupt Uh, that was a detail so (laughs) but we fought through all of that. And, uh, gosh, I think when I left four or five years later, my territory itself, uh, was doing about $4 million in sales. So it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy run and you know, it changed my life forever for sure.
1: Well, and you mentioned John Steinbach. I mean, goodness, he's probably the person that got me involved in talking about equipment. Isn't that something? meeting him at Bay Hill years and years ago. And, he just said, well, you know, you're really interested. You should talk about this stuff. And yeah. sure enough, that's kind of how I evolved into talking about equipment. Yeah. What was the industry like back in the eighties when you, when you're getting started and you're, and you're out selling it's nothing like it is now. It, it wasn't, it
0: was just so relationally built. Um, so I'll tell you a couple of, I'll tell you like three quick stories, but um, first of all, I was, uh, part of my my territory was Wisconsin, Minnesota, North and South Dakota. So I spent most of my time in Wisconsin, but I spent a lot of time up in the Twin Cities, and as you were going through there, um, you went through um, Eau Claire and close to Eau Claire, um, Eau Claire was, um, God, now I'm drawing a blank, but the place that all of the woodwoods were were made. And so here comes this, you know, this this um, <laughs> This kid from Madison, a big big city kid from Madison, selling metalwoods to the place um, where all the woodwoods were made. So I was a wanted man for sure. Uh, but little by little, um, you know, we just started building relationships. We had a wonderful product, which always helps a lot, uh, and it was just so different. But um, you know, it was just building building belief and building trust in not only myself, uh, or the company, but in our, you know, especially in our product. And then when people started using it on the PGA tour and Jim Simons won with it at Pebble beach in whatever year that was 82 or 83, um, you know, it started to really change. And, you know, for us in the early days of Taylor, when you were part of a sea change like that, or such a step change from woodwoods to metalwoods, um, you just believe that you could do pretty much anything, Ralph. And, um, know the level of confidence that we had and excitement and passion for what we did um i'm not sure that's ever been met before or since um and it was it was just a it was a magical time
1: you left TaylorMade made and went to do your own brand which kind of opened up your mind i think to the philosophy of making clubs tailored to different levels of golfers
0: yeah and that was um you know that was you know there were three people that were really instrumental um in helping me um, sort of believe in myself and, and really learn the business. One was John Steinbach, um, who to this day is just, you know, he's just, he is such a wonderful guy. The other one, uh, other two, uh, one, of course, Gary Adams, and then the other one was Eddie Langert. And Eddie Langert was, um, you know, just a legendary golf professional from, um, from Green Bay, wonderful player, and he was really one of the founders of TaylorMade. So those three people really helped give me the courage, I think, uh, to believe that, you know, I could, I could have my own company someday and, and build it. And back then, you didn't need a lot of money. You needed some, but you needed contacts. And I think, Ralph, where most entrepreneurs get into trouble is they fall in love with just creating the product, but you've got to build a business, which means you've got to be able to um, build relationships and then use those relationships in the right and proper way to begin to build a business, and and I knew how to do that because of my time at TaylorMade. So Ziva was was the first one, um, and we built that into a really nice company. We were probably quite a bit ahead of our time with this whole idea of custom fitting and doing it, you know, in a in a dynamic or you know, being able to measure the swing and and diagnose what was going on, and then come up with a recommendation for equipment that could really help a golfer. And we were able to do that. So. It took a while for it to really catch on, but you know we built that business into almost a twenty million dollar business, so um, that was pretty cool.
1: And then going back to TaylorMade in two thousand, you brought the idea with you in showed itself in the three hundred series, where you had different clubs for different types of players.
0: It did, and but I'll tell you what what happened. I went from being, you know, kind of sure I could do it to being. Um, and hopefully never arrogant, but just being so convinced that I knew how to do it, how to create a product, how to get, how to make sure it would resonate with the golfer, uh, and then how to package it. So you know, as I look at, at you know, really creating a product, just the product is only part of it. But how does it really relate to the golfer? And we always talked about it, it had to really relate on two levels. One was emotional, so that when you looked at it, you and and as a as a guy creating clubs or designing clubs. The, the emotion that I'm really trying to build is one of lust so that when you look at something, it's not like, Oh my God, I want to have that. It's Oh my God, I have to have that. My life would not be complete until I have whatever that is. Hopefully it's a Toulon design or odyssey putter at this point, but, but th- that's really what we're trying to do. But in order for it to be long lasting, it's got to deliver the goods. It's got to work. So, um, you know, when I started to work with, you know, really, really bright, um, world-class, you know, PhDs and engineers like Alan Hocknell or way back when with, with um, uh, Benoit Vincent and that whole team, you know, I wasn't just kind of thinking that it was going to be good. I knew it was going to be better than everybody else's. And when you have that level of confidence and I think um, the amount of, of um, relationships that we all had, uh, including Mark King and so many, you know, brilliant people at TaylorMade, you um, you know it was it was going to be something that we thought we could turn into something pretty special we did
1: well you talk about the group that you worked with there i mean that might be one of the biggest accomplishments in in golf equipment history because i think about the team that you worked with in that period of time yeah they're now running the top brands across the golf industry I mean, the or Taco are,
0: Bell, for God's sake, or or,
1: or Taco Bell. <laughs> but I mean, and it's not just in club development. It's in every aspect of the business, whether it's marketing or selling or, again, creating clubs. It was a powerhouse of a team.
0: Yeah. And we really did have a powerhouse of a team. And it's been really cool to see, um, you know, things change and, you know, companies go through good times and bad times and whatever. And, and people follow their own path and their own dreams. Right. But you know, for me, um, when I look back and say, geez, you know, hopefully uh, I've had a positive influence on some other people, you know, and much like the way a coach would say, this was sort of my tree. These were the people that I got to work with and hopefully influenced them to some degree. Gosh, I, you know, if it could ever be a half of what Gary Adams did to me uh, or, or did for me, um, I, I would be incredibly humbled. But hopefully I've had a, um, a positive influence on a lot of the, the younger people that I had a chance to work with
1: for yourself probably a lot of people you know of your age the biggest technological leap in clubs was really going to a metal club head for for woods then the really the use of graphite and shafts and that sort of thing for me my age my era of paying attention to golf the biggest jump in technology was the introduction of movable weights with the original r7 yeah and from a business perspective, from a design perspective, you talked about the confidence. Is that really what drives the ability to make that decision? Or are you still wondering, is this going to work?
0: No, I knew for sure it was, and that was really sort of my baby. That was the that was that was one that I'll go look back on and say, you know, from a product standpoint, that's that's probably the defining moment for me. But and it really came from the three hundred series. So the three hundred, I'll back up a little bit. The three hundred series was you know, there were three drivers that were doing well in the marketplace. One was made by Ping, the TIE tie SI, Uh, one was um, a Titleist, the 975D, and then Callaway had, uh, you know, some version of a big berth. I can't remember which one it was, but when you looked at the launch conditions, and this was really using my Zeebo experience from that, there were really three buckets. The, The three drivers did three very different things. They launched it differently, they spun it differently, Uh, But they really, they really, golfers would sort of self-select into one of the three. And when I got there in 2000, um, which was really, you know, I I haven't said this to many people, but um, I'm a big believer in fate and Gary Adams just had such a profound uh, impact on my life. But my very first day back at TaylorMade was the day after Gary died um, which was, I was, it was January 2nd or 3rd, 2000. He died January 2nd. And I really felt like my job at TaylorMade was to make sure that we kept his spirit alive. I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it. But, um, on July or January 11th, I finished the first product plan, which was the birth of the 300 series. And everybody knew TaylorMade was going to have a new driver, but we were struggling, Ralph. We were $270 million in sales and really not making any money. And, we had 27 players on our tour staff at the time and only seven of them played our driver. That meant 20 of them were in violation of their contract because our clubs were so bad. Right. So um, I sat down with um, Mark Leposky who I work with today, Benoit Vincent Mark King and just said, we got to change this. And Mark for sure knew it. And the other guys, um, you know, they didn't know me. So, so, you know, I'm sure they didn't know what the hell to expect or, you know, who is this guy? But, Um, The idea behind it was using the technology that Benoit and his team were working on, which were faster faces. We need to have one that could beat the crap out of a 975D, a SI, and a cowboy because that's the pool of golfers. The data is right in front of us. We have to have that. So Benoit and his team and Leposki delivered in spades. We had the best drivers. I mean, we went from not winning – I mean, not having our own tour staff using our clubs to winning counts later that year and becoming the number one driver in golf, you know, 12 months later, it was crazy. But as I was writing the plan, I'll never forget, I had the the light bulb moment was, um, if you look at designing a golf club, one size really fits none, or if you looked at the way um, that golf clubs were being built at the time, they were only capable of delivering one set of launch conditions. So if you were going to satisfy the marketplace, you needed three. That was 300 series. But as soon as I wrote down a driver is only capable of delivering one set of launch conditions, the next word I wrote was why or what if that could change. And in order to change, you needed to have CGs that could change. And the way to do that was by moving weight. And that's where the, the whole movable weight concept came that idea was born on on like the 11th of January, 2000. And by the time we went through everything, it came out um, in February of 04, uh, where we launched it first in Japan. And it was, you know, off to the races from there.
1: To get those weights really calibrated, you you should work with a professional to, to determine how to, you know, where to put the weights. Well, I think that really opened the door to what's now modern club fitting. Right. And and then the next step really came in 08 when you introduced the tour van in the box where you had the interchangeable shaft technology that TaylorMade and Callaway both that year came out with that technology. And that really led to what's now what we consider the standard in club purchasing is you're going to choose your shaft to go with your head
0: right and that was that was um that was a few years later so that we introduced with r9 and what was really cool about that is the entire company now had bought into this idea of really mass customization that was something there was a book written by a guy named joseph pine years ago and robert herb who was at TaylorMade early on was a big joseph pine mass customization guy but it was how are you going to get these products in front of a customer or a consumer where Uh, you know they could be really tailored to their needs and ultimately what we were after was to try to empower the consumer to be able to to do it themselves and and because at that point you know it was a pretty radical idea and there wasn't a lot of time for golf professionals to spend with their membership some would do it but a lot wouldn't that certainly has changed but what was really cool ralph is the entire company bought into it so guys like tom Olsowski and and Todd Beach and you know some of these great engineers that we had at TaylorMade totally bought into it, and that's really not from me. That but that's from those guys. That's really where this idea of interchangeability and shafts came from. But now the whole company had a, a totally different mindset, and we were totally off to the races. I mean, we were growing so quick. Ralph, when we all got back together in January of 2000 the company was 270 million we were well on our way to almost 1.8 billion at that point it was crazy
1: yeah no its the success was out of this world you you, yeah. you you grew that company and in 2015 you decided to step away from the business and retire and that didn't last long at all did it
0: <laughs> you know? It didn't. Um, I've got three boys who are all wonderful players and great kids and, and inventive in their own ways. Um, and I came home, um, funny enough uh, from playing golf with Scotty Cameron, who, um, you know, over the years has just been, you know, somebody I admire so much and we've had a rocky relationship because we're both trying to sell products to the same people. And, and, and I totally respect that. But, um, I, I was now unencumbered, so uh, you know, it looked like we were going to be able to rebuild our friendship. And, and I came home that night, and my kids were here sort of ambushing me and say, hey, how'd you play today? Well, I shot like 80 again, so this retirement golf is not as fun as I thought it might be. And they say, good, we want to start a putter company. What do you think about that? And When your kids you know, say to, hey, Dad, um, what do you think about uh, going into business together? Um, that's sort of a, uh, a heart-melting moment, you know. So I said, well, let me hear what your thoughts are. And, you know, as it evolved over three or four days, um, you know, it became clear that our path was going to be uh, to go very, very high end because there really was only one guy, Scotty, who's, who's just done – there are others, of course. Bob Betten already does a good job, and, and others do as well. But there was one major one, um, and we felt like we could bring – some things to the table that a lot of, you know, the smaller um, boutique players would maybe struggle with. So um, we started Toulon Design um, and um, we incorporated that. I have a habit of, of really bad dates to incorporate. This one was incorporated on 9-11. I guess we'll always remember because of that. Zeebo was uh, incorporated on April Fool's Day, so I'm not sure that's that smart. Um, but on nine eleven two thousand and fifteen, uh, we became a real company, and we started shipping putters late that year. And um, you know, in midway through two thousand and sixteen, we got acquired by Callaway, and none of that was part of the plan. So, um, very very fortunate. But um, my, my kids were just, uh, and and remain today, just incredible to work with. Just blessed. I had the
1: pleasure, of course, of visiting the uh, small office, the real Toulon garage, as it were. Um, Yeah. And you talk about, uh, you know, Callaway coming in. They really, obviously, they bought the brand, but they rolled out the red carpet to you to come Mm -hmm. in and really be a part of their company.
0: Well, that's that Chip and Harry um, um, are, are, are just. First off, incredible people, incredible human beings. Um, I knew Harry quite well because I worked with Harry at TaylorMade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chip, I had met over the years, but you know, never had lunch or dinner, even a cup of coffee. Just had met and sort of exchanged pleasantries. And um, but his reputation, um, you know, really stands by itself. And um, so when I got a chance to meet him, and we started talking about you know what might this look like, I didn't know what to do. To be honest with you. Um, It was a good thing, I think, for Toulon Design. uh, But Chip saw it as more than just, you know, I could come in and help the putter business that I could help in other areas, industrial design and, uh, you know, product strategy and things like that. And I was pretty sure I wanted to do it, but I wasn't sure. And then he sent me a note. He said, look, you know, I've met a lot of people in my life that have really helped bring a company to the top of an industry, but I'm really struggling to come with up with anybody who's done it twice. And um, that was sort of the carrot that um, that I needed, you know, and to feel like, you know, I could, you know, at that point at 56 years old, you don't get a lot of opportunities like that, Ralph. So um, to have a chance to do that and, and work with a team, some of which I knew, some of whom I knew, and some I did not, but to really help build Callaway, uh, to do some things that, you know, Maybe I thought they could do it that they hadn't thought of. That was, that was really appealing. So, and then to be able to do it with my kids uh, coming along, that, that it became a no brainer.
1: This leads me to something that I like to bring up to the audience and especially true in your case, because you're in a business, you know, you're in a business that sells golf clubs, Yeah, but that's not why you get up every day. It's not about making a sale but it really is. You're trying to make a product that's going to make the game more fun for everyone because you love golf to, to that extent.
0: Yeah. And, and creating products is the most fun. And then to see them um, work at the highest level and get, just to me, it's just the energy that they can bring people and the excitement that they bring people. I remember early on uh, at Zivo golf, we had a demo day uh, or a fitting day at the time at desert mountain club in Scottsdale, you know, just a, you know, a a wonderful, maybe the, the number one golf facility in the world with all seven golf courses, all of whatever And so we, I remember fitting a gentleman there and, uh, we got all done and he said, okay, I'm in, I want to do it. When can I get my clubs? I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll probably, um, you know, put the order in right now. Um, and we'll probably, you know, get them here in like 10 days or so. He said, I just want you to know, I am not going to play golf until I get my new clubs and I want to play tomorrow. So, so, you know, it just, so the just the, the level of excitement and passion golfers have for equipment and the game, that's what really drives me. And to be able to, to help create products and ideas that, that manifest into products um, that can help, you know, it sounds corny, but it really does. It can really, it can impact a, a, a human being's life. Um, that's what really drove me. And I got that's, from Gary Adams. So um, lessons learned over the years have really served me well.
1: And we jump back to the Toulon brand for a moment. Mm. With all of the product that comes out from Callaway and Odyssey every year. Yeah. How gratifying is it to you? How exciting is it to you that your name is in the mix on these clubs that after a long career, there's your name? Yeah it's not just named Sean and it could be a number of Sean's. No, this is too long (laughs) right there on these putters that you've come up with a great product that Callaway is celebrating and wants to put out there that wants to celebrate the man who, who created
0: it. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I'm very prideful of that. And it's really cool to see Joe out in uh, my son, Joe out on tour and, and uh, Emiliano Grillo will come into the truck and he said, uh, hey, I need a loft and lie adjustment on my putter, but I only am going to let Joe touch it. And I said, well, why is that? And because his name's on the hosel. So, I mean, so to see how prideful my kids are of that, mm-hmm. that's really cool. And Tony is the same way. So, um, but more importantly now, the the rest of the um, Callaway team, um, and it's Mark Leposky and his group of engineers that have helped us build a world-class supply chain because, you know, We didn't have a world-class supply chain. We had people that wanted it and knew how to make great putters. But, you know, to be able to make one or two is one thing. To be able to make 10,000 is something totally different. So now, um, as we're building that business, and now, you know, we're on the verge of being the second, um, number two in overall milled putter market share, and we're a dominant number two on tour. In fact, we have, uh, I have, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 in play every week now on tours worldwide, Um, you know, that's a big commitment by a lot of people, and certainly not just me, a lot of people. So, um, you know, this little brand is part of Odyssey. That um, It's really helping. And what's really cool is we've been able to use it to really, um, you know, kind of change the mindset, I think, um, with a lot of the longtime Odyssey people that, hey, we got to make world-class products. And even though, you know, a lot of Odysseys get sold at $249, they need to be the very, very best, most beautiful, most handcrafted $249 putters that, that they can be. So we've taken that mindset, and I think it's really helped. And, and you know, I, I I guess I'm proud of Toulon for sure, but I'm really proud that Odyssey has really got its mojo back and is going fast.
1: Well, and the fact that you have been able to come in and make an impact, and obviously your brand, but then impacting Odyssey and then being able to offer your insights to – G- the general club design for everything made by Callaway
0: yeah that that part is really cool um i i just i just i, I, I pinch myself with the, you know, i get to to work with these people now that are so committed to winning so um committed to finding new innovations that beget new performance and and you know people say all the time my god we got to be getting to the end we're not even close to the end we're not close to the end in golf ball we're not close to the end of drivers or irons or wedges or putters any of it so, um, you know, when you, when you work with people all day, every day that feel that way and, um, and it's not a hope it's, it's a, it's a truth. Uh, that's a pretty exciting place to, to spend your time.
1: Well, I like to finish each show here on the range by jumping in the wayback machine and getting nostalgic. <laughs> now you kind of already gave us a little bit of a spoiler on this when we know the latest and greatest from Calloway and Odyssey are just that. But can you share some clubs or lines, maybe a technology league that jump out at you as you think back over your career that are like, there have to be a number of milestones that it's like, this was, you know, obvi- you already said the R7 right. might be the crowning jewel of of everything, but it, that, that really jump out at you as you think back that it's like, okay, if I've got a golf bag of memories, these are, these are some of my clubs that I have to have in there.
0: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, if I go way, way back, um, I would say the 300 series was probably the most important because it really changed the way that people in the company at TaylorMade believed um, and, and, or thought. And, and it just created beliefs that anything was possible again. And once you inject that um, attitude into a bunch of people, you um, you know, things can change, right? And, and you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of people to create change. It takes the right ones and, and, and people get on board. So 300 series changed the trajectory of a company. The, the R7 really changed the trajectory of the way clubs were being designed and built. Um, so I would say those two, one was more attitudinal and the other one was probably more technical. And then the burner iron, that was really the first flat out distance iron And I'll never forget being on the range with Nick Faldo, and uh, he was hitting shots, and I was, and it was just sort of an ad hoc thing. And somehow a a microphone showed up, and they were—I didn't even know that they were filming. And he's hitting these shots, and I let him. I remember him hitting this four iron, and 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 he's sort of when he's hitting, he talks all the time, but it's really soft, so it's more mumbling. And he hit one with his four iron. He says, oh, my God, look at that, a little low rocket. And and he hit this thing, this rocket four iron that was like 25 or 30 yards farther. And I said, oh, my God, Nick, with that with that four iron, you're going to be 25 yards younger. And he just started laughing. And and But that changed the way irons were really built from that day forward. And then, you know, at TaylorMade, the spider putter, uh, which was – a few people involved, but me and Robert Nunez, really the ones that really brought that thing to life. Um, that, that you know, that putter is, has, has changed putter design, uh, pretty dramatically. So from that standpoint, um, those were important, but now at, at, um, at Callaway, there's just, there's so many things that are going into it now with, with Doc Hawk and his group with artificial intelligence and things like that. And, and, you know, I'm trying to, I, my job there is to really try to bring some emotion into a machine that just is so technically capable it's incredible so uh, the industrial design team that uh, that i I look after there is um, is something that's really trying to to move things and get people to think a little bit differently um, and and chip is so involved in product because he's just he's such a product guy uh, and so interested in it. Um, then my job is to really try to get to to push um, a little bit more uh, beyond kind of what um, they're used to seeing. And, and, you know, some of that is a challenge and, and, and always it's fun and uh, just been a blast.
1: Sean, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the range. I, always enjoy our talks. Uh, in case you in case you couldn't tell, um, I think I could sit here for a week and just talk golf with you and not get tired of it one bit. I think you'd get tired of me, but i just be no, it here. Uh... I, I,
0: no, I know how much you love it too. And that, that's what makes it so much fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But thank you again for joining us. It was a lot of fun and we'll definitely have you on again to, to really dive even deeper into the weeds of golf club innovation.
0: Great. Thanks, Ralph. Have a wonderful day, bud. That was
1: Sean Toulon, the senior vice president for Callaway Golf and the general manager of Odyssey Putters, and he really is the catalyst behind some of the biggest clubs that you can think of from over the last two decades of golf equipment. Our paths have crossed many times, and he's always gracious and so full of enthusiasm because he loves the game of golf so deeply. It's people like Sean who help make the game even more fun for each and every one of us. Before we go, this past weekend was the PGA Championship at Harding Park in San Francisco, and there is so much to take from it. As expected, the lack of fans on site afforded a unique look at major championship golf. Shots that were way offline were not rewarded with trampled down turf. In fact, Tong Lee's errant tee shot that was declared lost on Saturday perfectly illustrated this fact. Had there been fans in attendance, they likely would have found the ball and he would have advanced onward without a second thought. But, just like the rest of us when we play Harding Park, the rough ate his ball, and he paid a huge penalty. We've all been there, playing well until that blow-up hole. This past weekend, we saw that exact thing with the pros. What we also saw was a reminder of why major championship golf on the West Coast is so good. Reliably playable weather that could still vary day-to-day, and it gives us a prime-time finish. Having grown up just south of Harding Park, I can tell you that it easily could have been 75 and sunny on an August afternoon, but no matter what, thunderstorms and weather delays are definitely off the table. And finally, what we saw was an example of all the great youth that are coming up on tour. Colin Morikawa is a star, but many are just learning that fact. He'll continue to be fun to watch for many years to come. If you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight. For the latest on The Range, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That's right, at the Golf Spotlight. We welcome your comments there as well. Now, you've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on iTunes, or follow us on Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We have new shows every Wednesday. Now, that'll do it for this episode of The Range. So let's get out there and enjoy ourselves playing the game we love. And I'll see you next time, right here on The Range.